there's a battle going on today for the heart and soul of America, and the right side must win. It's time for America Can We Talk with Debbie George Addis. On America Can We Talk, we talk truth about America and why it matters to you. America Can We Talk starts now. And good evening and welcome to America Can We Talk. I'm Debbie George Addis. This first five and tonight's show, I want to focus again on Hillary and the deplorables, her speech where she used the basket of deplorables. And I want you to know that she's doubling down on this. She's tripling down on this. She is going to, between now and Election Day 2016, spend a whole lot of time trying to divide America, trying to convince Americans that not just Trump supporters, but their fellow Americans all around them are truly not the friends they think they are, that in fact America is filled with people who are racist, homophobic, xenophobic, blah, 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 blah. This is what you're going to hear from Hillary, and it is really incumbent on all of us who know what America really is to speak up. But I'm just, I want to add, just pose the question for all of us, why does she do this? And the answer is two things. Hillary Clinton focuses on calling her fellow Americans, calling you, calling Trump supporters, calling everyone who is not in her circle of, of, of supporters. She focuses on calling them names. Because, A, she needs those people to vote Democrat. She needs them. She needs their vote. And she gets voters by making Americans feel like they're victims. So she, Hillary, and the Democrats can be the ones who ride in on a white horse and save them from their fellow Americans. And she does it because it works. She does it because people who don't pay enough attention to politics, who are tuning into things late, who've had perhaps unfortunate life experiences, they believe it. And then she doesn't have to convince them about anything else she stands for. She doesn't have to convince them of anything. I'm going to give you some examples. When I say it works, first of all, I had a conversation over the weekend with someone who's been a, basically a Republican voter for a long time, uh, but is not going to vote for um, Donald Trump this time because this person said, he's just, I mean, he's just so sexist. He, I, I know the things he says. He's sexist. He's racist. I said, why don't you try reading some of his speeches? Just try listening. I could not get the sentence finished to this otherwise rational, well-educated, thoughtful person because she's become convinced by listening to the media that everything Hillary says is true, that she won't even find out the facts herself. This is why Hillary does this, because it works. It, it manipulates ignorant Americans. I'm going to give you just a couple quick examples you probably saw that recently, um, just this past week, Donald Trump was on the Jimmy Fallon show, the late night show, and Jimmy Fallon said to him, hey, could I touch your hair? It was a funny scene, and, you know, Trump kind of winces, and, well, okay, fine. So Jimmy Fallon rubbed his hair. It was an entertaining late night thing. Here are tweets the next day. I'm just going to read one tweet. Jimmy Fallon is an exaggerated example of what the mainstream media is doing, humanizing a monster. The most dangerous thing you could do. This, what this woman, Hillary Clinton, and her media echo chamber and the Democrats have done is convince some ignorant tweeter that 
Donald Trump is an, is a monster. They've created this monster image of all the things she says. And so this woman tweets right along with it. Here's another example. Donald Trump gave his speech at the Economic Club um, in New York City, Economics Club in New York City. A longtime political reporter of the MSNBC, John Harwood, found racial overtones. Trump can barely say a word. Even his campaign slogan is is painted as racist. Another astonishing example, there's a group that's called the Remembrance Project. It's made of families who have had a loved one killed by an illegal immigrant. And they have banded together, thousands and thousands of families banded together to say, we need to do something about illegal immigration. There's a woman, a white woman, who's the mother of a black son, and this son was killed by an illegal immigrant. She joined the Remembrance Project She's one being called by the Hillary-style leftists a a racist Nazi, a mother of a black young man. She's being called a racist Nazi, and it's simply because she is speaking up about immigration, speaking up about something Hillary doesn't want to deal with. So here, folks, here are our answers. You know, I want to tell you the heart of the issue is that the Democrats, and especially Hillary, are going to spend a bunch of time this campaign season trying to convince you that Donald Trump is racist and America is a racist nation and both things are false. Here's one quick story you can tell about Donald Trump. When Donald Trump purchased the um, the uh, resort called Mar-a-Lago, which is in Florida, Palm Beach, Florida, 20 years ago, he actually filed lawsuit, a lawsuit against the city of Palm Beach because the city was discriminating against his resort because he, Donald Trump, made it after he bought the resort to say, no, we're open to anyone. We're we no longer going to discriminate against blacks, Jews, Asians. Anyone's welcome. That anyone's welcome policy infuriated the city council that was then was retaliating against his resort. So Donald Trump filed a suit against racism to stand up for black Americans, Jewish Americans, Asian Americans, filed a suit. And on top of that, a really interesting little touch that he did, he purchased at that point, probably VCR, a VCR of the famous movie, Guess Who's Coming to Dinner, one for every member of city council and gave it to them. This is the man that Hillary Clinton's trying to tell you is racist. Folks, it's our job to correct this image in our day-to-day life. We come back after this break. I'm going to tell you lots of ideas I have about how we can remind each other what a great and noble nation America is. Talk about it after the break. Welcome back to America. Can we talk? This is Debbie Georgiatis. I really want to focus in our show this evening a lot on race relations in America, because this is one of the most sinister and evil things that Hillary Clinton is doing to this country that Barack Obama did to this country during the last seven plus years is to plant the seed of suspicion, doubt and resentment in the hearts and minds of American people about other Americans trying to convince Americans that other people are somehow out to get them, don't respect them, will cheat them, will mistreat them, and actually at its core hate them. This ugly picture she's painting has nothing to do with the reality of America. And I want to um, start, actually I want to tell you a quick story that I, um, I'm going to get to what she's doing instead. Hillary is, 
Hillary was hurt a lot by her deplorables comment. A lot of people took offense. It was a it was a signature moment. It was almost important as a time that she collapsed at the 9-11 thing. But when she did this speech about deplorables and she is burrowing in on this, she's she ca- tried to walk it back, but she can't because she needs her voters to believe it's true. But she also recognized a lot of people didn't like it very well. I'm going to tell you a really cool story. Um, it's based in Dallas, but it probably is true in places around America. And it's a way to fight back. In addition to fighting back against this ugly image Hillary is painting of America, um, which includes defending Donald Trump. And there are more stories like that about him that I told you in the first segment. But this is a really cool story. So here in Dallas, we have a sheriff named David Brown. He is um, very widely loved and revered. He did a beautiful job uh, bringing, bringing Dallas and really America together after the horrific shootings of Dallas police officers in July this year. But he spoke at a Rotary Club last week, and a friend of our family was there. And was the guy was uh, our family friend was telling my husband about it. And basically, among the things he talked about was in David Clark talks. Sheriff David Clark talked about race relations. Was saying that one reason he had he really was comfortable and could do a good job working with people of all backgrounds was because in his childhood he remembered. You know, he was, I think, lived in a majority black neighborhood, but he remembered white Americans, white family friends, just being kind. He talked a story, told a story about getting on the school bus one day and whoever, you know, kids can, how they can be in school buses and wouldn't give them a place to sit. And some white kids say, Hey, come on over here, sit with me. Those little acts of kindness are astonishingly powerful and you carry them through them with you through your life. So in America, I mean, I know that my version of America, my view of America is based on my life. I mean, our family has friends of all backgrounds, um, races, ethnicities. And honestly, what I care about is, are, are they, you know, are they good people? Are they people like us who care about our country or trying to preserve our country? And so this idea of just how far small acts of human kindness can go uh, and, and really impact someone later in life. That little boy in the school bus that day did not realize that the kid he let sit with him was going to become really a leader in the national conversation about um, violence against police. So I want to plant that seed in the fact there was a, a Martin Luther King quote um, that uh, I saw referenced in connection to David Brown. But the quote from Martin Luther King was, love is the only force. I'm going to start over. Love is the only force capable of transforming an enemy into a friend. The idea of just treating others with the same kind of love you want to be treated with. But on the subject of people who don't treat others like they want to be treated, I'm going to go back to Hillary. I want to talk actually about this lawsuit. And this is an, uh, has been filed. This is an extremely um, powerful thing that I want to talk about. In Dallas, there is a gentleman who is the Dallas Police Department Sergeant. Um, he's president of the Dallas Fallen Officer Foundation. His name is Demetric, or maybe it's Demetric, D-E-M-E-T-R-I-C-K. Demetric, so she's nodding yes, Penny. His last name is Penny. He's filed a lawsuit on behalf of many officers trying to get a class action. It's a federal lawsuit. He amended his federal complaint recently, and he's suing over a dozen defendant institutions and individuals, basically trying to bring a class action against, excuse me, on behalf of police officers and other law enforcement persons of all races and ethnicities, including but not limited to Jews, Christians, and Caucasians. And the lawsuit is against, I'll tell you who the defendants are in a moment, but the basis of the suit is claiming these defendants defendants incite race riots 
and related violence. And he is suing all sorts of people, the founding members and public faces of Black Lives Matter. This, by the way, is a black plaintiff. The police officer filing this lawsuit is a black man involved in the police department and the Fallen Officers Association. He's suing the Black Lives Matter movement, Louis Farrakhan, the Nation of Islam, Reverend Al Sharpton, the National Action Network, Malik Zulu Shabazz, and which is who's the head of the New Black Panthers, George Soros, President Barack Obama, former U.S. Attorney General Eric Holder, and Democrat nominee Hillary Clinton are all named in this lawsuit. Now, look, folks. This lawsuit is not going to come. I don't even know if they're going to certify the class. I don't know if it's going to get very far. But just the mere idea, what this guy is doing is profound because he is recognizing this is not a black versus white issue. America is not a black versus white country. He's pointing out for everyone covering this lawsuit, for people becoming aware of it, that there has been intentional racial agitation by many leaders on the American left, and it's now coming home to roost in the numerous violent actions we are observing around the world, around the country. It, we have had instances of attacks on police. We've had random shootings of police officers sitting in cars. We have chants of Black Lives Matter, people moving along, hold, holding arms, chanting death to the cops. We want cops dead. When do you want them dead? Now, this is what this guy is trying to draw attention to is the violence is hurting everybody. It's hurting blacks and whites. This is not a case in America uh, as the left tries to create. It's not black versus white. It's law abiding and law breaking. It's the peaceful solution of our problems, pursuing peaceful solution and violence in our streets. I love that this plaintiff is black. I love that many of the officers on whose behalf this lawsuit was filed are black. The lawsuit's not going to come to some, he's, he's seeking something like $500 million in damages. Um, I, you know, my, uh, I don't, the loss is probably not going to go anywhere, but just the attention to it is a beautiful thing. And so I have about three minutes left in this segment. I want to point out that this whole discussion about race, our willingness as a country to not let the Democrats paint this nation as a divided, evil, hateful, intolerant nation. It's so important that we fight that. It's so important. We use every vehicle we can think of to correct the wrongs that do occur to certainly, you know, prosecute if, if it's justified officers who do engage in brutality or excessive violence or discriminatory conduct. Of course, we do that. But it's important for us as a civil society to respect the police, to have a, a place, a, a notion that America is a law abiding country where everyone is expected to follow the law and the laws, when they're violated, you will be prosecuted. We, we can't have civil order without it. I love that this police officer is trying to bring a class action against all those people who have worked very hard in the last decade or more to divide America. It's a beautiful thing. But I do want to um, touch on what Hillary, and you know, I, I only have two minutes now in this segment. We have in the next uh, segment, by the way, a really great guest um, calling in. And if all of you saw the movie 13 Hours about Benghazi, or you read the book, I've done both, read the book and seen the movie, we have Tig. John Teagan, or as short and shortened his name is Tig, um, who was one of the people who fought the 13 hours in Benghazi. And I am telling you, this will be a fabulous, exciting interview. I can't wait for him to come on. But that's, so that's right at 630. But to finish this discussion about race, I want to hit on something. Because Hillary is engaged in such a nasty, evil in effort 
And it's, she's getting pushback. People do not like to hear her, except the victim class she has created. People don't like hearing a presidential candidate refer to masses and millions of Americans as deplorables, as all the things she... So she's trying to come up with her issue, and the issue she's settled on is the birther issue. And I'm going to make a vow to you right now that I this birther issue, I'm not talking about it in terms of trying to discuss where Barack Obama was born or anybody else was born. I'm pointing it out to point out that this is a false issue. It's a lie for Hillary Clinton to be what she's doing. She's raising this because she hopes the media will stop talking about her deplorables comment. But the quick summary on this um, issue about birtherism, which I, I think actually only the media really cares about. But here you go. Here are your talking points. Keep them in mind. Okay. In Obama's first anticipated book, it was supposed to be called Journeys in Black and White, uh, He, which he later abandoned then published Dreams of My Father. In a promotional booklet by his own literary agency, they described Obama as born in Kenya. That's number one. Number two, Hillary's campaign worked very hard in 2008 to paint the impression that Barack Obama was born in Kenya, or at least to question his citizenship. Not just one person. There was one staffer in Iowa someplace who was fired for doing it. It's not just that one woman. The campaign, Hillary's campaign, was the one who put out that image of Barack Obama with the white turban on, the salami elder tribal clothing. That was Hillary put that, Hillary's campaign put that out in 2008. Her chief strategist wrote, Mark Penn, in March 2007, during her campaign, wrote that one strategy was to target Obama's lack of American roots, lack of roots and basic American values. So Hillary Hillary has been behind all this questioning of the birther thing with Obama. She never herself questioned where he was born, but she, her whole campaign in 2008 was behind trying to paint him as a foreigner. So for her now to be talking about the birther thing and trying to make that a campaign issue for Donald Trump, folks, she's desperate. She's losing. She's going down the polls. This is a nothing burger of an issue. Don't buy into it. And we come back. We will talk with Tig. Welcome back to America Can We Talk. This is Debbie Georgiatis, and I have joining us tonight on the line, John Tig, Tegan, or Tig, of uh, the Benghazi fame. Hello, sir. Hey, hello. How are you doing? <laughs> I'm great. I'm so happy to have you the show. You know, I mentioned before the break that uh, Tig was one of the uh, three who were uh, battling in the Battle of Benghazi in um, 2012 and also was one of the um, co-authors working on the book 13 Hours and also on the movie 13 Hours. And uh, on this show, we have talked about Benghazi and the movie and the book uh, many times. We're just um, grateful for your service and um, so excited to have you. But I want to jump in and ask, I noticed that you are on a tour now, uh, Tig, called the 13 Weeks of Truth Tour. So what are you up to? Well, it's, it's more like the 13, it's not really a tour, but it was just uh, me just kind of putting something out every week and like kind of in the middle of the week just about what, pretty much, honestly, just the Hillary Bash kind of thing. <clears throat> um, but, you know, I... That's really what it is, and right now I'm actually I'm going through Texas, and I'm doing a bunch of speaking events down here, doing a couple of veteran foundation events, and I just left uh, Shepherd Air Force Base at the air show, which was really cool, but, you know, Halo for Freedom, they were out there, and yeah, I'm just doing all kinds of neat stuff. 
But you're really trying to draw attention in this campaign cycle about Hillary Clinton and how much of what she did on the night of the attack in Benghazi on September 11th in 2012 that she did that was, that was just wrong, right? And I mean, isn't that part of what your whole goal is? Oh, yeah. I mean, totally. I mean, even just, I mean, she actually had the nerve to come out and tell uh, Donald Trump that he needed to apologize for, you know, questioning the legitimacy of, uh, you know, Barack Obama's birth, you know. To me, he's he's a U.S. citizen. He doesn't have to apologize for questioning anything a politician does. But, you know, here she is. She has the nerve to tell him that he needs to apologize, but yet, you know, she knowingly left, you know, the ambassador and Sean Smith unprotected, let them die, left them and Guise to die, lies to the, the parents over the bodies at the coffin of them coming home, and then has the nerve to go on live TV and say that they lied about her lying. But yet she can't apologize to the American people for it. I mean, it's kind of... It's actually uh, it's, staggering. It's just her, her, it her audacity is staggering. Well, you know, I do want to turn... Uh, I want to hit one thing about that night in Benghazi. And, and um, I think that until recently when all of the um, discovery was done and, and emails came out, it was one thing I want to be sure that you talk about. So when you first became aware of the attack occurring, you delayed... Leaving the dip, leaving the diplomatic compound to get over the CIA annex because you were told to stand down, told you couldn't leave when you wanted to leave. So who that order come from? Yeah, it was the other way around. We were leaving the annex to go. Oh, sorry, I said wrongly. Yeah, that's okay. But it was the it was the deputy chief of base, the CIA uh, guy who was in charge of the base down there. That's who's the, that's the one who told us to stand down. And you think that was his decision? I totally one hundred percent think it did. I mean, for one. Uh, you're looking within about, you know, 10, 15 minutes of us getting the word that they're under attack. And I don't think this administration can even think that fast for them to give him a phone call and say, hey, tell them not to go. But, you know, to me, that was just how Bob was, though. I mean, there's, um, you know, a dozen of other situations where we should have left and we never got to because he didn't let us leave. When the consulate got attacked the second time, I was actually there the second time they got attacked before 9-11, and, you know, get a big hole blown in the wall and stuff like that. There was only two security officers over there at the time, and he still would not let us leave to go over there to help aid them in securing the compound. So that's, it, that's just how Bob was. Okay, that is just, uh, it is just inexcusable. Okay, but I want to jump into politics now. So you, um, speaking, <laughs> speaking to Tig now, you, Tig, and also, I think, Oz, another one of the um, 13-hour heroes, have both endorsed Donald Trump for president. And so I really want to get at this argument that Hillary's making is that Donald Trump is not qualified to be president because he lacks national security experience or military experience. So you're a military guy, what long experienced. Why do you think Trump's qualified? Well, it ain't really the individual that's qualified. It's the people that he surrounds himself that really technically makes you qualified. If you listen to the people that are around you, you can do anything in the world. You can conquer the world. You know, it ain't the guy who, you know, just because Genghis Khan was Genghis Khan, he personally did not conquer what he did. It was the people he had around him that went and did the conquering. You see what I'm saying? He's listening to the guys on the battlefield. Yes, you're going to learn from it. But, you know, Hillary, what does she know? She knows how to go to bed and leave people while they're being attacked. What makes her qualified? Because uh, she was first lady, or I mean, she has no more qualifications than he does. At least he knows what a uh, you know what his security team is capable of. He knows what uh, you know what his managers are capable of. She doesn't even know what who you know the Libyan people 
what what they thought of us. Because if she did, she knew that she'd have let the Marines come in immediately. So, well, that, yeah, that's another thing I want to hit on about that night. Because I agree with you. I think that Donald Trump has the pro-American attitude has a willingness to, he's going to trust the military people who do know what needs to be done. He doesn't have to have served the military to know it's right. But with Hillary, it's an ethical thing. She doesn't have that, she doesn't have the integrity, but she doesn't have the, you know, that defend, don't leave anyone behind, jump in, defend, fight for your guy. She was just willing to walk away. That to me, she's like morally unqualified. Well, you know, she keeps breaking up, well, I was the one who made the call, you know, to go get, uh, you know, Bin Laden. Well, you only did that because it was a publicity stunt so you can become elected president. When when it was an American's in trouble, I didn't see you getting pictures taken in the Situation Room. No, you left the Americans to die because, you know, you weren't for sure if we were going to make it out alive or not, or you just didn't care, you know. Um, you know, just because you're Secretary of State doesn't mean anything. You're a puppethead. You're a figure, you know. Okay. Obviously, that's what, that's what she made it because she didn't even know that the concert got attacked twice prior to 9-11. So, yeah. Yeah, it's an astonishing thing. I think that her, and I think her argument is starting to fall on, on deaf ears in the American public because I think it's been, I tell you, we've had Lieutenant Colonel Alan West on the show many times. We talk about different issues and, and Hillary, of course. But one thing he always says is, you know, putting everything else aside, whatever she's done, all of her scandals, all of her, you know, dating back to Whitewater, all the ones you can think of, Benghazi all by itself is enough to make her unqualified. Do you agree? Oh, I, I mean, I, I totally agree. You know, uh, yeah, I mean, it's just flabbergasted that she can, I don't even see how she's even a candidate. I, I really don't. And I'm not, a, I, I've only gotten into politics pretty much the last three years, really. Because <laughs> before, I mean, I used to vote and stuff, but I wasn't like in, involved, I guess you could say. Or, yeah. It's, it's just mind boggling that she's even a candidate. So you have confidence in Donald Trump that he will be a strong leader militarily because he, and, and I'll tell you one reason I do, is because he has a clear idea of who the enemy is. He, he's really okay talking about who the enemy is and talking about wanting to win. I, I just think his spirit of fighting for America is just more, it's what we need at this time, this dangerous time in the world. Oh, I mean, I, I totally do. It's like he knows how to listen to people and he knows how to learn. Some things instead of like just trying to cheat and steal your way through everything he actually tries to figure it out and you know be better the next time or let people actually know what they're talking about lead the lead the way you know just because you're the president doesn't need me you're going to go out and make the battle plan that's what your generals do anyways you either say yes let's go do it and like uh, obama's in the oval office saying well let's go Let's counter-assault these guys from this way. Let's go flank these. No, they ain't doing that. He's just saying either go and do it or don't. Or he's giving the generals all the equipment, all the people that they're asking for. Yeah. You know, that's, that's what leaders do. They listen to your subordinates. They listen to the guys. They listen to the people. You know, me being a Marine uh, sergeant, you know, being a platoon sergeant or squad leader or whatever, just because you're the guy in charge, you still listen to your guys around you. You're getting their ideas of what they think, and they might have that better idea, you know. It's just that's that's a leader. They they lead from the front and they they listen to the subordinates. Yeah, I love I love that. You know, the other thing, and we only have like a minute left in this segment, but um, Hillary has had a really hard time agreeing that, for example, ISIS is motivated by Islam or that, you know, we that there's any connection between terrorism and Islam. Doesn't that by itself bother you about her qualifications or her thinking? Well, it's 
yeah, this whole administration's that way. And yeah, it, it, it totally does. You know, if you don't know who your true enemy is, which 99% of the American people know exactly who they are, but yet the leadership in the country doesn't. It's, and she's one of the main heads. Yeah, it, it's, it, it's scary. It is scary. We are speaking tonight with Tig. I love all you guys have those great nicknames. Speaking with Tig, who is John Tegan, <laughs> former Marine Sergeant and in the Battle of Benghazi. I really want to thank you for speaking up, for doing the book, the movie, for doing your going around the country talking about this. Because honestly, if we didn't have people like you willing to speak up, America would just have the picture of this image that Hillary and President Obama tried to present to the country. And so I just um, thank you for your service and thank you for calling in tonight. Yeah, we're even pushing out a, actually doing a music video on it on it too. So we're going to hit it from that way now too. So oh, it's going right. uh, to be called "Burn" by Ryan Weaver and myself and Tom. So we're going to be in the music video. It might be out probably mid October is what we're thinking. Okay, we're all sitting here smiling. That sounds so good. Music video about <laughs> Benghazi. Yep. What, what's it going to be called, real quickly? Uh, the song's called "Burn," and it's going to be by uh, Ryan Weaver. Okay, Tig, thank you for your service. Thanks for calling in so much. Okay, folks, when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more about who's supporting Mr. Trump in the military. Don't. Hello there, and welcome back to America Can We Talk. This is Debbie Georgiatis. You know, we had on the last segment of this show, just right before our break, we had on a man who has was in the Battle of Benghazi. It's one of the three ones who've been out telling their story. They first wrote the book, 13 Hours. They did the movie. They are bringing the story of Benghazi to the American public. And, you know, he's a obviously just a... Uh, an extremely accomplished warrior, a military guy who has served our country in, in many capacities and who is just laying out this argument that Hillary is not qualified to be president of the United States simply if for no other reason than that she left people to die in Benghazi. She had the authority, she had the ability to bring in help there were Marines three hours away, a fact she lied about over and over and over and over and over until finally the evidence overwhelmingly came in that indeed there were assets close enough to come in and help and she would not authorize it. These are just, you know, these are, as, as Alan West says in the show all the time, you know, if nothing else, if no other scandal ever happened, Benghazi is enough. She's not qualified. And I, folks, I got to tell you, this election is going to come down to so many challenging issues. And one of them is going to be Hillary trying to claim her experience as Secretary of State, as a senator, as a first lady, somehow makes her qualified to be commander in chief. She has proven to us she is not qualified to be commander in chief. And I love that Tig in his plain spoken, tough guy, American way said so. And actually, Oz, another one of the Benghazi guys, has endorsed Donald Trump, too. And, you know, it matters a whole lot more if you understand the difference between um, political correctness and military policy. Hillary's all the military is a politically correct, you know, playground for experiments and with the real idea of America's military is to use the military to protect America, to fight for liberty and freedom in the world, to fight and crush 
people and organizations like ISIS and the evil folks in this world. She doesn't see that. She can't function that level. She's too busy being politically correct about Islam. Well, this is a, a this segment is I call it the cruise through the news, and I have uh, I always have more uh, things that I can cover, but I just love to hit some top stories that we can't really spend a full hour on, but I want to spend a moment. Okay, number one, yesterday was Constitution Day. This is maybe should replace or be of equal importance in American society with July 4th. July 4th, we declared our liberty from England. We declared independence. We launched the whole effort that got America eventually to be a a free country, freed from control by England. But the Constitution is the boulder in the road that keeps tyranny from developing in Washington, as long as we honor it. The Constitution, we have all sorts of, you know, pointy-headed intellectual scholars trying to claim the, the Constitution is outdated, we don't need it anymore. It is not outdated. Just take this simple idea. Slavery, as an example, is always wrong. It's an eternal idea. It doesn't matter when it's discussed. It is an eternal, always true idea. Slavery is wrong. The Constitution is premised on ideas of equally valuable, eternal importance. The Declaration of Independence saying that you have rights simply because you're born, you have rights to life, liberty, pursuit of happiness, that we're all created equal, our rights come from God. Those are central ideas that were interwoven into the system the Constitution set up to keep us free. The Constitution matters, and it might be seem boring or intellectual, but it's the reason you don't wake up in the morning and wonder whether the police can come to your house and take you away for no reason and have you disappear for six years, like happens in countries around the world, because we have a Constitution, because we have a rule of law, because we have rights. We have to have that Constitution. It is what has lifted American political and societal culture above the world. So Constitution Day ought to be a bigger holiday. I also want to hit on this story. Uh, I talked in the email that sent out about media mendacity. You know, mendacity is just dishonesty. I'm going to just tell you the most. So Hillary, as we all saw last week on 9-11, you know, she didn't just stumble and she didn't just trip and she didn't just have a slight fainting spell. She completely collapsed at a 9-11 event in Washington. Last week was September 11th, the 15th anniversary of the attack of Washington, Washington. Hillary collapsed. And we're going to talk in the next hour with someone who's going to tell us a little more about her medical condition. But Hillary collapsed. But because the media is so determined to pretend that she's perfectly fine, we have the New York Times magazine using the expression, she was seen stumbling as she tried to enter a waiting van. No, she collapsed. She was carried because she was unconscious to get in that van. She, you can see her feet dragging on the ground. She didn't stumble. She collapsed. She completely lost consciousness. Same thing, the Atlantic. Yeah, this is New York Times calling it a stumble. The Atlantic calls it. Uh, she stumbled as she abruptly departed. I mean, I'm just telling you, the media is in the biggest ways possible and in the smallest ways possible trying to paint the image that Hillary is competent, she's the one, she's ready, she's the only one who can possibly run this country. The media is living and breathing to get Hillary into the White House, and there are not nearly the forces in the media that there need to be on the conservative side 
talking about all of the shortcomings of Hillary, talking about the importance of having a candidate who will step up and defend America, talking about a candidate who will actually do something about the borders, do something about refugee policy, who will reinstate and reinvigorate the American free market economy. These are things, these are country-changing things. Hillary has been a failure in nearly every avenue of her professional life. She has nothing to show for her life as a senator. She didn't, she wasn't, she tried to pass so socialized medicine. I mean, she was so far left radical, she couldn't even get the Democrats in the Congress to back her, in the Senate to back her on that. Her foreign policy was a failure as a Secretary of State. I mean, there's just everything about her performance in life has been as a failure, but still she is the one. She's the the ordained one, and the media's trying to do it, so be alert to that. They are just from the smallest issue of not even telling the truth about what happened to her in 9-11 to the biggest issues about what a good person or not a good Secretary of State she was, the media's not going to tell it to you straight. Okay, another cruise. I just thought it was interesting, the media just completely misstating or misrepresenting what happened that day. I want to hit on a really important issue that is... Um, I mean, it's one of those things you wake up in 10 years and say, what happened? How, how did this happen to us, to America? And that has to do with who controls the Internet. We've touched on the show before, but now uh, Texas Senator, U.S. Senator Ted Cruz, who is uh, you know, was um, just a just a pillar of strength. He is committed to the Constitution, committed to the right conservative principle ideas, never deviates, fights for them, even though he's the only one fighting for them. He has tried to again raise the flag in Washington about Internet freedom. He called a hearing. He he talked about the idea, in case you don't know what's happening with the Internet, by the end of this month, September 30th, or on September 30th, the contract with that keeps America essentially in charge of the Internet, or to be more precise, is in charge of an organization called ICANN, I-C-A-N-N, Internet Corporation for Assigned Names and Numbers. ICANN is a group that when you go online, you say, hmm, I think I want to make a new website. Maybe I want to make a new one called, you know, Sharia Law in Saudi Arabia. And you want to make a website and six stories up there about stuff you learn. Or you want to pontificate away and do a blog. You don't know it, but the organization that is giving you that protocol, giving you your number so you can get on the Internet and have that website and own it and other people have access to it is ICANN. So ICANN's had a contract with the United States Department of Commerce. And it essentially that organization um, is needs to have a home. We've had an expert in the show talking about this recently, but I just I got to hit it again because here we are on September 18th. And pretty much we don't have a way out of this. We are looking at by as of October 1st, ICANN will not any longer have a contract with the Department of Commerce. And the one organization in the world, the last organization you can possibly ever imagine wanting to be in control of it. United Nations is the one that wants to step in and take over the U.S.'s role and run ICANN. Now, just stop and think about who's in the United Nations, who's powerful in the United Nations. Countries like China that limit, greatly limit access to the Internet. Countries in Saudi, in, uh, not just Saudi Arabia, but other Islamic countries greatly limit access to the Internet. The reason America needs to retain control over ICANN is because we're the country founded on the First Amendment, founded on freedom of expression, freedom of speech, 
freedom of religion. Our country is the only country in the world dedicated to liberty and freedom, and yet President Obama, who has long been advocating for letting the U.N. take over the Internet, um, does not get that. It's one of the many things he doesn't get about America. In fact, there was a so uh, Senator Cruz uh, introduced a bill along with Sean Duffy in the House, a Republican from Wisconsin, called the Protecting Internet Freedom Act, essentially trying to, to the bill, if it passed, would say essentially that the Department of Commerce can not let this contract go ever without congressional approval. And so this is what they're trying to accomplish. I'm just going to read you some of the mealy-mouth language that these people who want to give it over to the U.N. have said. There was one guy who is the um, named Lawrence Strickling, administrator of the National Telecommunications and Information Administration. He's urging at a hearing uh, held by Ted Cruz, urging Congress not to block the transition, talks about the best and most effective way to preserve Internet freedom is to depend on the community of stakeholders who own and operate and transact business. This guy has no idea that there are players, actors in this world, who actually don't like freedom, who actually be happy to prevent people from getting websites or retaining websites that are inconsistent in any way with their political agenda. The one, the name I made up in the beginning, you want to have a website called, you know, Sharia Law in Saudi Arabia. You think a UN-controlled ICANN would give you that domain name? You think they would let you have that? They will assign you the numbers? I mean, it is absurd that we have to pretend there's probably, you know, equally likely, uh, you know, freedom with America controlling the Internet versus having the, um, the United Nations own it. So Ted Cruz, God bless him, is fighting this. And you ought to be calling your congressman, your senator, and tell him you, too, want America to retain control of the Internet. Okay, this rude guy is playing music. I can tell you, try and tell me to stop talking. Okay, at the top of the hour, we come back. I have my leading ladies joining my roundtable, Chris Davis, Mari Sullivan. And we're going to talk a whole lot about bombing in New York City, what happened, and what those candidates said about it. Come back. Number one source for premium talk radio. I am Time for our second hour roundtable on America Can We Talk with Debbie Georgiatis. More talking truth about America. And hello there and welcome back to America Can We Talk. In my second hour we have a roundtable. Love, love, love the roundtable. Um, and it's actually all with friends where even when we're not here we talk politics all the time. But today join me in the roundtable, Mari Sullivan and Chris Davis. And I want to just start by saying I meant to comment at the beginning of the um, program that obviously over this weekend we saw news of more bomb attacks and more things um, 
dangerous things happening in America. And I'm grateful that there were no um, lives lost this past time. But I do a roundtable, a second hour kind of rapid fire roundtable question. And I want to do it today about what happened in New York and actually in New Jersey. But I, before that, if we're ready for it, I have a clip that Donald Trump had to say. I want you to hear what he had to say. I must tell you that just before I got off the plane, a bomb went off in New York, and nobody knows exactly what's going on. But, boy, we are living in a time. We better get very tough, folks. We better get very, very tough. Okay, so that was Mr. Trump. And then Hillary, I'm going to give her a chance to – you can do the uh, little same. I know it takes a while to go and do what she had to say. Hillary Clinton, she continues to attack Donald Trump, calling him uh, racist, xenophobic, you know, the deplorable comments. Watch this. This is who he is. And so we need to decide who we are. If we just sigh and shake our heads and accept this, then what does that tell our kids about who we are? Okay, this is really we funny. So, Greg, up. my buddy back here doing the boards, I, I sent him too many <laughs> links out of order today. That was actually Hillary. Uh, I was going to play that in the first hour, digging in, diving in uh, on her xenophobic attacks on on um, Donald Trump. And I guess at this point in this segment, we better just... So I'll just quickly tell you that we're going to go to us talking. So here's my rapid-fire roundtable question for you. Yesterday, a bomb exploded in a garbage can in New York City, injuring 29. Another explosion happened along a Marine fire. 5K run in Seaside, New Jersey, and officials have been using this language, an intentional explosion instead of a bomb. So I guess the basic thing is, what impact do attacks like this have? And there was one in Minnesota at a mall. What impact do these kind of explosions and attacks on Americans have on the presidential election? Chris, you ready to roll? I I am. You know, what we've seen from the current administration is the hesitancy to call these things what they are. And, you know, here again, we have an intentional explosion rather than calling it a bomb. We don't want to identify it as uh, anything radical Islamic. Uh, We don't want to call it terrorism because we might offend Muslims. And yet, you know, the terrorists that we have apprehended who have done these kinds of things have all had Muslim ties, Muslim links. And and so what I think we need is is America sees this. They see through all this. We're sick of it. We're tired of it. We want a fighter. We want somebody to fight for us. And that's exactly what Donald Trump was saying in the clip that you played. And I think it's only going to play to his advantage. Okay. What do you say, Marie Sullivan? I totally agree, Chris. Uh, we were talking about Benghazi. And uh, there's a great article that I read called Roads to Ruin. It was about Ben Rhodes, who came up with the mythical you know, silly explanation for Benghazi, you know, an obscure video. And what this writer said, his name is uh, Adam Garfinkel said, hey, you know what? Ben Rhodes has ethical derangement syndrome. (laughs) And that comes from staying too long in Washington, D.C. And this is what Trump and we as the American people are up against. Ethical derangement syndrome. Lies, lies, damned lies. And we're tired of it. We need a fighter that will fight fire with fire. There's an explosion. In my mind, that's a bomb. One of the bombs in New York was a pressure cooker. That relates to what happened in Boston. You know, we can all put the dots together. We have to keep our country secure. And Donald Trump is all about talking about the facts and truth. 
I love that. You know, I have to tell you, folks, I really think this. I don't want any more attacks to happen in America or anywhere else. I, I, I want America to be safe. I want I want the bad guys to just stop being bad guys and, and go lead productive lives somewhere. But the bottom line is, in America, we do not want to become a country like Israel, where it is a routine thing, week after week, month after month. Well, there was an attack here. There was a, a missile came in. There was this. There was an explosion. We can't have that in this country. And part of the reason that the, the, uh, violent forces in the world are so willing and so inspired is because they see America as weak. They are willing to come here and do these things more and more because Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton have set the stage internationally that America is weak. We're apologetic. We're trying to make us all equal. And I, these kind of things happening in New York will just, it will motivate people to say, you know, Hillary, why do you keep talking to us about bringing more refugees here? Why are you okay with bringing tens of thousands more Islamic refugees here? Come on. People are tired of, the, of lack of truth. They're tired of having Hillary and Obama not agree that terrorism is tied to Islam. They want truth. And Donald Trump is going to be helped by this because he will speak the truth, albeit in his New York blustery way. Sorry, Chris. No, it's okay. I was just thinking about San Bernardino and Orlando, and it makes the terrorists mad when they don't get the credit for what they're doing when we try to, you know, use our political correctness to gloss it over and try to make it sound like it's something it's not. I love that. You know, this is going to be a discussion ongoing for the week, but I really encourage you to follow all of this story and recognize Hillary's trying to make a big deal out of being thoughtful and and having a really thoughtful investigation of all this. Everybody knows the story, and they want someone who's going to stand up and say, you're not going to do this to America anymore. And that is our Rapid Fire Roundtable. Come back soon. Hello there. This is Debbie Georgiatis. This is America Can We Talk. We're in our second hour roundtable with Chris Davis and Mari Sullivan. Okay, so we're talking before the break about the um, bombing in New York yesterday. And, of course, again, we're very grateful no one was killed. You know, there was actually a bombing in New York. There was a location of a second bomb that didn't detonate. There was a bomb that went off in New Jersey along a run where the only reason there weren't a lot of people in, in that area was that they had delayed the start of this 5K run to raise money for Marines. And so no one was there yet. So, and actually, at this point, ISIS has claimed responsibility, uh, at least for the um, one in um, Minnesota. And then there was a, there was a, a knife attack in, in Minnesota. So in ISIS, and now the uh, officials have said that the New Jersey uh, incident and the New York City ones are the same person. So we're getting closer, figuring out what's what's going on with all this. But I'm going to play a clip because here we are in 2016, trying to figure out who can be who would be the best president in this. I want to first start with uh, I play before the break Donald Trump's reaction. Action when he heard um, about the uh, New York City bombing, he announced it. And I want to play something that Hillary had to say. I've been briefed uh, about the bombings in New York and New Jersey and the attack in Minnesota. Well, I think it's important to... Do we lose her? Well, I think it's important to know the facts about uh, any incident like this. Uh, that's why it's... Uh, critical to support the first responders, the investigators, uh, who are looking into it, trying to determine what did happen. Uh, I think it's uh, always uh, wiser to wait until you have 
uh, information before uh, making conclusions. Okay, I got to tell you, folks, if you don't know what happened in the story today, I want to share it with you. First of all, okay, you have to you have to watch this clip of Hillary. She's being interviewed on her own airplane with a you know a cadre of reporters all standing around, all breathlessly excited, and she said at the start of this very interview. I've, got, I've been given a report about the bombings in New York and New Jersey. I've heard about the incident in Minnesota. So she used the word bombings. So later on in this interview, the same people all in one place, no break, same interview. Someone, uh, one of the reporters asked her, well, you know, don't you think that Donald Trump just, ju- you know, he jumped the conclusion it was a bomb. This, you know, we didn't even know. As soon as he heard, he said he used the word bomb. He shouldn't have done that. It wasn't that bad. And Hillary, then you hear that, that second part where she was saying, um, well, actually, you know, yes, I'd be very careful, thorough investigation. So I want to talk about that more in a second when CNN has just lied through their teeth all day long today. But before I do that, I will say you have to watch this video because Hillary's voice sounds flat, like blah, blah, blah. That's how she looks. She looks like she can barely stay awake and be bored with this idiotic. I mean, here we have an attack in New York City and she's barely conscious. She's barely there. Anyway, but what CNN did, which I think is really important, if I I tell you that the media is biased and CNN is about the worst of them all. So you heard, she said in that interview, I got briefed about these bombings. Later, because some moron reporter didn't hear that, said, wasn't it really bad that Donald Trump called it a bomb? She went off on her whole, this is really bad because it jumped to a conclusion it shouldn't have done that. And all day long on CNN, they are keeping up this theme, asking all sorts of experts, wasn't it really bad that Donald Trump, and he doesn't have the temperament to be president, because after all, he just jumped to the conclusion it was a bomb, all the while ignoring that Hillary Clinton said the same thing. And they're contrasting Hillary and saying what a great job she did, because after all, she pointed out how important it is to investigate. You know, Debbie, here we go again. The first thing I thought of, explosion in New York City, already knew about the explosion in New Jersey, 90 miles away from Manhattan. Do you think they could be related? Let's see, the Marines are running. Who would want to hurt our Marines? I just wonder. I mean, I'm just sitting at home and putting the facts together. I am not in the Central Intelligence Agency, but I've got a brain in my head. Let them babble on the American people are sick of this. Or I'll tell you what, I am. Absolutely. And... You know, there is a, uh, can't tell if Chris wants to say something, sorry. No, okay. You know, I have to tell you, this whole thing is really, um, it's very challenging because nobody wants, or or I should say, everybody wants truth. Obviously, we want to investigate this whole fear of what if we blame the wrong people. But we are tired of being told in this country, after watching all the attacks in France and in Germany and in just, just all over Western Europe and the attacks here, that it is an extremist jumping to conclusion to call it a bomb. Trump didn't even say who was bombing. He didn't say anything about terrorism, anything about Islam. He just said it was a bomb. That's what they're attacking. And they are so willing to cover for Hillary, to hide her, to protect her, that, that she, she says the word bomb and it's okay. You know, and 
we do need to get the facts straight before we but just because somebody is a terrorist does not mean that they're muslim there is now the federalist papers project is posting a manifesto by somebody who claims to have been the bomber and the chelsea neighborhood of new york city is very lgbt friendly and so this person who has written this manifesto has a gripe about lgbt issues and that's why they are are taking it to this next level to get attention and so if we just let the police gather the facts. They are very good at doing that. And then we can know the truth and the truth will set you free. That's right. That's exactly right. And what I was going to say is the truth will set us free and the media needs to stop forwarding all of the ethically deranged lies that come out of Washington. If it's on Obamacare, yes, you can keep your doctor. Don't question that. If it's the Iran nuke deal, yes, we're dealing with you know, reasonable mullahs. We won't question that. They don't question anything because they're a tag team. It's a duo. They're one and the same. It's and an getting agenda. this narrative out. It's an agenda. And unfortunately, it it is one that is not protecting our country and our children and our economy and everything that we hold dear. I want to jump in and say something, too. I realize about New York City at this point. Um, New York City is... Uh, this week is the home, as everyone knows, I think, of the United Nations. This coming week is a huge United Nations meeting. And, and so, you know, the other thought about who might be behind this, I don't know if it's an LGBT activist, as Chris is saying, and someone's arguing that it's some LGBT activists, right? Um, but this idea, the General Assembly is meeting uh, of the United Nations. They just had President Obama speak at that re- at the uh, UN recently. But the um, there's there are meetings of the big climate change. It's a I, I put out their schedule. It's all these is Climate Week, New York City, 2016, starting tomorrow. Um, it's all sorts of. Uh, there's a Clinton Global Initiative event um, in Washington, the United Nations. So, if you were a terrorist trying to make United States look vulnerable and weak, this is a great week to do it and do it right in New York City, right at the home of the UN. I mean, the idea. And so, you know, I have to say, I, you can't hold any of our officials accountable with the idea that somehow, if we had perfect security, you'd never have an attack. That's not, I mean, you know, we can't prevent all attacks, but we can do some things. These are things that Donald Trump, I mean, he is, his, what he goes to right away is, you know, it's a tough time. We're going to have to be tough. We're going to have to be careful. He's talking about being tough. And that's what you want to hear. You'd like to hear that kind of, even before you know who did it, you want to hear that tough sounding talk instead of Hillary half asleep, barely could finish her sentences talking about, well, we have to be careful. I mean, she just looks like she can't handle this job, which by the way, I want to talk about uh, be coming up right at our, um, after this next break at 730. Speaking of Hillary's health, uh, we have a really great guest on the line. He happens to be a friend, but it's Dr. Milton Wolf, and he ran for United United States Senate from Kansas, and he ran for uh, U.S. Senate, and he really was a he was a fabulous, conservative, brilliant candidate. And in fact, he would have been so effective as a conservative that the Washington insiders ganged up against him. Uh, he was trying to he was challenging an incumbent in a primary, challenging Republican in primary. And the uh, Washington establishment was not going to have any of this, having some actual conservatives show up and rattle the GOP cage in Washington. So they ganged up on him. And and so uh, he did not win that. But he still is a good writer. He's an activist. He's a good thinker. And he's a medical doctor. And he's going to give us some kind of amazing insights on this health report that Hillary issued after her um, 
It was after either after she uh, collapsed or because then now she had pneumonia. So they they issued um, a statement about from her doctor about her health. And Milton Wolf has some amazing insights. And this isn't just a you know pundit blathering away about what's what's wrong with Hillary, but what he has to say about her health is really really uh, important because this is another whole facet of Hillary's preparedness. I mean, the ethical things are beyond belief that she's, uh, you know, she let people, left them to die in Benghazi, but she thinks she'd be a good commander-in-chief. She's been caught lying so many times that people don't even believe her when she talks about her health, they don't believe her. She just, she has been down that path of just the fabrication factory of Hillary's campaign, and plus her 20-plus years in public life, she's just been a, a source of continual lies. So she's really struggling, but the health thing is another thing, and I want to have him talk to you about that a little bit. So you, look, I don't know if you want to say one more thing. We're about 10 seconds here. Did you have something? Well, I was just thinking, if you know that that uh, that intentional explosion was from a member of the LBGT community. I would surmise that he's probably a Democrat. Oh, there you go. So now what are we going to do? We got Democrats bombing America. I don't know. That could be trouble. You know what? One last thing I'll throw in is the last few seconds about Don Trump and his future leadership of America. America's largest police union endorsed Donald Trump, largest in the country. So come back. We'll talk to Dr. Milton Wolf. You'll love it. Hi, this is Debbie Georgiatis. I want Can you hear us now? Can you hear us now? And welcome back. I got to tell you, whether we're on air or not on air, we're always in these discussions about politics. Okay, so that break kind of snuck up on me. So we have on the line tonight, I hope we have on, Dr. Milton Wolf. Hello, sir. Hey, Debbie. How are you tonight? Um, very well. I'm glad to talk with you. Uh, I mentioned to our listeners before we uh, the break, uh, Dr. Milton Wolf was a candidate for U.S. Senate from Kansas, but he also is a board-certified diagnostic radiologist and so uh, actually practicing medical doctor. And I want to, um, you know, there's so much talk about Hillary's health. And obviously, we all saw her collapse on 9-11, just looked really bad. But then she has a report from her doctor saying she's just A-OK, ready to roll. So I, I know that much information was released. I'm not particularly a medical person, so I'm not sure I followed it all. So what was your read, essentially, of the information that Hillary's doctor gave out about her health? Well, first, let me say, uh, indeed, I am a medical doctor, but a reminder to all of your listeners, I'm not your doctor. Uh, so we're going to talk true. about some serious things, and I want to make certain that if, if you think this applies to you, that you talk to your own doctor <laughs> with it before you change your regimen or do anything else. I'm, I'm giving information. I'm not giving you advice about your particular care, your, your as in all of you listeners. Uh, with Hillary, here's, you know, I think it's important that we separate uh, what we know from what we think we know. Um, I won't engage in just wild speculation. So uh, what, I, what I do is I, I've looked at the statements that Hillary has made and her team has made, and I would consider those to be knowable facts. And if you think they're in error, then, of course, you need to take that up with Hillary. Uh, but the most important, she has admitted to the fact that she's suffered from deep venous sinus thrombosis. And I know that's a mouthful. Um, and typically when we hear the word sinus, we think of nasal sinuses like allergies. This is nothing about the, the sinuses we're accustomed to. These are the, the veins surrounding the brain. This is a very serious matter. She's had blood brain, uh, brain blood clots 
very rare. Most most people have never uh, heard of this, have seen this, and, and actually most doctors have never dealt with it. This is the wheelhouse of the radiologist, also the neurologist and their neurosurgeon. I've diagnosed these patients. I've treated these patients. This is a big, big deal. About half of the patients who have dural venous sinus thrombosis or sinus thrombosis uh, actually have strokes, uh, depending on where that clot is. Um, a, a, another, a large percentage, almost as high, uh, suffer from intracranial hemorrhage. They bleed. Uh, these are these can be devastating, and these strokes can they, they can uh, completely heal. Uh, these these, throm- these thrombosis can heal, and the patients can go back to normal, uh, or they can, um, they, they can. There's a high mortality rate from it, and certainly a high morbidity rate uh, as far as the the sequela of, or the long lasting effects of the strokes uh, go. Now, did she have a stroke? or not, well, we know she had lasting neurological deficits. We know that she had visual disturbances. Now, she's admitted to this, had to wear the Fresno glasses. Uh, she claims that she has memory problems because of, of this issue. And um, and I'd say anybody with their own eyes could see that she has had, uh, she has balance issues. And, uh, you know, it, it would be uh, very unlikely to have the, the clots in the, in the dural sinuses and that they completely resolve and still have the lasting effect. We know about half of the patients that have the same clots that she had have strokes. So it doesn't, it's not too hard to, to, to reach a conclusion or, or at least a plausible explanation of all of this, that this all stems, everything you're seeing, stems from her dural venous sinus thrombosis. Okay, can't even repeat the word you just said. I can get thrombosis out. Okay, so... <laughs> You know, I just, um, I appreciate all that you were just saying, and I really want to be sure that um, I don't, and it's kind of, you you cleared the air by talking about how you're not, um, every, you're not a doctor for the, the listeners, that if they have these issues, talk to their own doctor. I want to clear the air to say, I never wish ill on anyone. I, I actually would love if everyone in the world were just perfectly healthy. I, I don't want, I don't want Hillary to fail uh, in her campaign because of her health. I want her ideas defeated resoundingly on election day. That's what I really want. I don't wish her ill. But I just have a lingering feeling that we don't ever get the truth out of her. And I, I feel concerned about that for America. I feel like we don't, we don't really, we're not really clear whether we're getting a straight story on how she's doing. And, um, you know, she didn't acknowledge the pneumonia until, well, until after she collapsed on 9-11. So, um, you had some tweets that I don't want to read them all, but you were talking about, um, the varying stories that Hillary has presented. How first said she's fine, just has a cough, then was allergies, overheated dehydration, pneumonia. Um, these are, uh, oh, actually, anyway, so these are kind of varying explanations, but has she said things that seem to you inconsistent with, with what must be true? I mean, she just, is she lying to us about things you can tell? There are certainly some things that are inconsistent. In regards to the pneumonia, the, the pneumonia may or may not exist, and it may, if it does exist, it may or may not be related to her underlying uh, ailment. So, of course, anybody can get pneumonia. Young, healthy people can occasionally get pneumonia. Um, and it can be uh, un- unrelated, and they'll be just fine as soon as it's treated. Um, the, but the, the pneumonia did not cause that event that we saw on 9-11. I think you don't have to be a doctor to recognize that was not a simple faint. There was not a simple stumble or a, or a lightheadedness collapse. Uh, you saw that she was propped up against a post, 
And then, and then something very uh, peculiar happened. If you watch closely, medical eyes are trained to look for this, but if you watch her legs closely, she experiences what I would describe as ataxia. She loses the ability to walk, and it manifests itself with rigidity and spasticity. It's like she wanted to walk. She's leaning forward, but her legs were start, started showing some spasticity and rigidity and, and wanted to get started, but they just wouldn't. And th- then as she leaned forward anyway, she fell, collapsed. They caught her, dragged her into the, to the van. That is not an orthostat- orthostatic hypotension or uh, being dehydrated and just too hot and all the other things that they say. So um, the, the pneumonia does not cause ataxia, certainly does not cause the spasticity and the rigidity. It's like saying you're, you got pregnant from a toilet seat. It just <laughs> doesn't happen. <laughs> okay, that, that was a good analogy. People are like, no, that's not real. Uh, we also, I, I, read, I have read something about this. I want to just ask you, there, she was also, has also issued a list of a medication she takes. And one that I thought was being called into question about what it signified about her is that um, she's on lifelong, and I believe it's pronounced Coumadin, Coumadin, C-O-U-M-A-D-I-N. And mm-hmm. that's something that I thought that you were reading something into in terms of what that signifies about her health. Uh, pronounced Coumadin, and Coumadin is a is a very important uh, medication. It's a life saving medication, and I'm sure a lot of your listeners are on it. But it's also, and they're very well aware of this. It's a very dangerous medication. It's a blood thinner. There's only one reason to give Coumadin, and it's to thin the blood. Almost always, that's because the patient has an underlying co- um, hypercoagulability. Their blood clots too much. Now, some on occasion, just bad luck, somebody can get a blood clot in the leg or the lung. And we'll put them on it temporarily, and they resolve, and they never have to worry about it again. That's not her. She's on lifelong therapy. We put, it on, we put patients on it who have artificial heart valves and who have atrial fibrillation or a certain kind of heart rhythm, again, for the same reason of stopping clots. Now, here's what this tells us. One, we know she has a, a hypercoagulability. Now, they've denied this. They deny she has a clotting disorder. They say they give her Coumadin uh, just for preventative measures. Well, that's a ridiculous notion. This is a, a very, it's a very dangerous drug. And I see patients on a regular basis in RER who are on Coumadin bleed very easily. Classically, they bleed in the brain. They, a, a simple knock on the head, uh, you know, bumping your head, getting in and out of your car, and they will bleed in their brain and have, have um, it can be life-threatening. It's a big deal. So I trust that her doctors are, are exceptional doctors. I trust they know what they're doing. And if they have her on this drug, and first of all, they've tried newer and safer drugs. Coumadin, believe it or not, was originally developed as a rat poison. That's how potent Oof. this is. Um, it, and again, if, you, if any of your listeners are taking Coumadin, I'm not telling you to stop. It's probably saving your life. Talk to your doctor. Don't change your regimen uh, without talking to your doctor. Uh, but there are newer, safer, more expensive drugs, and they've tried them on her, and they've failed. And again, I know this because they've told us this. Um, so they have her on Coumadin. Now we know she's, a, she's teetering between two risks. She forms clots. We know she has a history of forming clots repeatedly in the legs and the veins around her brain. And if you thin the blood too much, if you, so if you don't thin it, then she risks having strokes and heart attacks and, and blood clots in the lungs and things that are deadly. And if you thin it too much... Uh, you can have spontaneous hemorrhage or the, or trivial trauma, a bump on the head, and the next thing you know, you're in the ICU with intracranial hemorrhage. And this is a challenge. I, I have sympathy for every patient and every family who has to make the decisions of should we put grandma on this blood thinner or not. 
And now that we know it's a fall risk patient, if, if grandma is prone to falling and we know Hillary is, that raises the stakes. That's a, we consider that to be a relative contraindication to blood thinners. It, it means that it's, it becomes more risky to put them on blood thinners, which means if we do it, it's because leaving them off of blood thinners is more risky still. So we're teetering here with Hillary. I trust that her doctors are very good at managing this, but this is a real issue that real families deal with. And I think that, uh, that American voters have the right to know what's going on. We are speaking tonight with Dr. Milton Wolf. That was, I couldn't even write notes fast enough to keep up with you. Uh, We got a thorough analysis of the medical reports that Hillary's doctors have put out about her. Dr. Wolf, thank you so much. Thanks for, that was a great call. Talk to you after the break. The National City. Hello, I cannot believe it is already the last segment of this show. This is the fastest two hours of my week every week. And honestly, you can't see. Pretty soon to be able to see. We're going to start live streaming the show. We're going to have a little uh, my my uh, cell camera up and cell phone camera and just live stream the show right on Facebook so you'll be able to see it. But since you're not here, I'll tell you. There are papers spread everywhere. And I, I have many, many sto- more stories than we have time to cover. It's a sad truth. It is just two hours. is hardly enough time to talk about saving America. And on that subject, I was going to tell you, I tried to say at one point in the show, my entire purpose for doing radio, you know, I'm a lawyer by background. I never thought I would be uh, a radio host. I never thought about this. But I really got into writing my book and doing a lot of public speaking and then being invited to start a radio show, all because... I want to have I want to inspire Americans to recognize what a precious important special country we have. The world needs America to be strong and free and be a secure society and be a strong force in the world. And so this particular last um presidency the last seven years has been devastating to the identity of america in countless ways in in part and one reason in particular is because just a a total denigration um, or failure to respect the exceptional nature of america in all of world history so that's why i tried doing the show so we talk about subjects all over the planet all on the idea though of preserving america's exceptional nature and place and i have to thank i want to thank our sponsor for this show the show is sponsored by gc works and They are a Dallas-based company. They perform research in advanced technology, and they deliver innovative approaches to the oil and gas industry. Thank you to GC Works. Because they are able to sponsor our show, I get to talk to you once a week for two hours. Okay, so we were debating on the break because there are too many stories. I did want to hit this one story tying into, you know, that we're talking earlier about the attack in New York City, um, that one bomb went off. Another one, fortunately, they located it before it went off. There had been a bomb that went off earlier in New Jersey, and... um, there was also attack an attack at a mall in St. Cloud, Minnesota, which Mari, who's from Minnesota, tells us is 90 miles away, essentially. So, you know, it's in Minnesota. And it's a mall. So last night at midnight, so there was a knife attack, a guy who was sh- sh- stabbing people in the mall last night. And last night, the St. Cloud police came on and gave a, a midnight report and update on what was occurring. They said the mall attacker who was, you know, he didn't manage to kill people, but he was stabbing them was uh, talking about Allah and asking victims if they were Muslim before attacking them. But the police statement was, police stumped over motive of mall attacker. 
I'm telling you, this is one a great example why Trump is up. You know, Debbie, I think after seeing that picture of Hillary on her airplane, the zombie apocalypse (laughs) must have happened, and the news media is affected as well. I was reading on Fox News that ISIS is calling the suspect in the mall stabbing rampage a soldier of the Islamic State. There you go. And obviously, you know, no one listens to these stories. I always go back to my Norwegian Lutheran jokes, because my... Our family, my family is Norwegian, and my grandfather-uncles are all uh, Lutheran ministers. And so whenever you hear these attacks, well, it's probably those doggone Norwegian Lutherans. But anyway, Mari, Miss Minnesota. Well, I was going to say that I've always looked at Trump as a combination of Mr. Smith goes to Washington and Mr. T. I like the way he'll fight fire with fire. I pity the fool. He just gets out there, and he looks at the facts, and he takes decisive action. And that is what I want because we live in a dangerous world. It is an explosion today, but ISIS is well funded. They could get a dirty bomb. There's any number of terrible, awful scenarios that I think about every day because our country is unprotected with Obama and Hillary at the helm. Absolutely true. And it's funny, you know, I think it shouldn't only matter at at a holiday season, but, you know, we're in September, holiday season's coming up. And so the idea of, you know, all the times the malls are packed or the Christmas concerts or all the things we go to, you want to feel secure in America. And I want people, and not just ISIS, but terrorists of any kind, uh, Islamic terrorists, jihadists, whoever else they are, even if these are going to turn out to be the LGBT terrorists, I want them scared to death of America. I want them scared to death to speak. Okay. I want to hit, though, we still have seven minutes left. There's one story I just really want to get to a little bit today and talk about, because it kind of ties into, you know, we have all these things to be watching for in the world. We've mentioned this show many times, George Soros, and he is, again, a Hungarian-born uh, Jewish man. He's in his 80s now, I'm pretty sure. And he was a child during the Nazi rampage in Hungary. And he actually, as a child, a Jewish child, helped the Nazis find other Jewish families. He actually assisted the Nazis in rounding up Jewish families who were then loaded on the trains and sent off to death camps. So he's got a spotty history, to say the least. But his current thing, what he does now, he is the founder of the Open Society Foundation. George Soros deplores everything about America. He hates religion. He thinks religion is a source of all evil. He, he is, it finds American society founded on families and family units to be abhorrent. He really doesn't like the idea. It just He is just the most antithetical to everything good and right about America is what this guy stands for. He is supporting the influx of flooding of refugees of Islamic background into Western Europe, urging more refugees brought here. So the guy, and he's got, and he is a B billionaire. So he uses his money to push his agenda. He's the most single, most dangerous man on earth. So George Soros, an interesting thing came out. So fortunately for us, uh, he got hacked, his personal emails, as well as his Open Society Foundation emails. And among the hundreds of interesting facts we learned. One is that he is funding Democrats in district attorney races. I mean, it's one thing. He he funds Hillary Clinton. He funds Barack Obama. He funds all sorts of big-time leftists in this country. I mean, that, that alone should tell you they shouldn't run the country. 
But this interesting thing was he's funding local races, district attorney races, trying to get incumbent Republicans out and get Democrats in. And Chris Davis, who has a lot of background working with local government, I, I'm, why do you think he would do that? What is the motive? You know, and Debbie, I thought I'd heard it was the Koch brothers that were the most evil guy. Oh, my rich gosh, guys you're right. World. I forgot about them. You know, the district attorney in a, in a county is one of the most powerful elected officials that there is. When uh, I worked for county government and Commissioner Maureen Dickey tried to, uh, you know, take on um, voter in- or ballot integrity, the uh, the state won't come in and investigate in a county unless the DA allows it. And so uh, the DA gets to decide what cases to prosecute. And so, you know, shell organizations like safety and justice packs that Soros is funding to help influence district attorney races uh, and and knowing that he is the big money behind Black Lives Matter, then he we're going to end up with a district attorney like they had in Baltimore, which was if you well we should tell that story sometime the whole but you yeah know, bringing the, a bogus case bringing a case not based on law and order and the rule of law but based on a political philosophy absolutely in Baltimore you know they had the horrible Baltimore riots and they they stem from the. Uh, Freddie Gray case, young man who was who died in police custody. But the point of the story, I'm so glad you're making that. It's a great example of the power of the district attorney is even so those cases, they, they eventually she, the district attorney, brought cases against six police officers. Freddie Gray was a young black man who died in police custody and was the allegation was police brutality. And so but three of the six officers that she chose to prosecute were black. And amazingly, because there was no factual basis to claim for wrongdoing, the officers went ahead and went on trial before a, a bench. They did a bench trial, which is your right. You, you don't have to have a jury trial. If you're the accused, you can pick a bench trial. Many a judge hears the case. The judge who heard the case was black. And he threw out these cases that there's no basis for a crime. So this is the, for charging these men with a crime. This is a problem with a district attorney with a political agenda instead of a law and order follow the law agenda. That's an excellent point. And George Soros is also, I don't know if this is still a focus of his now that he's focusing on DAs, but he was very much focused in several elections on getting secretaries of state who have a lot to do with voter integrity. That is their focus. If there's a question, it often comes down to the Secretary of State, okay, are these ballots all right? Are these ballots not all right? And what happened in Minnesota, we lost the Senate seat that Norm Coleman held to Al Franken because the Democrats found 300 ballots in the back of a car. Funny thing. Magically. Magically. And that was the vote that carried Obamacare. So this focus on who's the Secretary of State, who's the DA, and voter integrity is very important. And, you know, this is a thing, too. I I know Soros is spending as much money as he can possibly imagine. In fact, he thought, by the way, he had George Bush defeated in 2004. He was quoted in October 2004, essentially saying he thought he'd spent enough money to prevent Bush from getting a second term. But obviously he was wrong. But this, you know, you look around this country, you see these, these, uh, you know, hardworking lawyer who decides to run for district attorney or the average good guy who decides, you know, I'm going to go to Congress and try to change things. 
you think that you're running, uh, these people are running based on their values, their views, their issues. They're going to make speeches all around the county or the congressional district or wherever it is. They're going to make these speeches and inspire people, and they're going to change things. And then you discover, really, it's like a puppeteer. He's behind the scenes. And, in fact, they had a, a fabulous candidate for district attorney um, in Henry County, uh, just, I'm not sure we can state that is, but who pulled out of the race. He said once he saw that the other guy, the Democrat, got like six-figure donation, This you don't have that kind of money in DA races, got a six-figure donation from Soros. And so the other guy pulled out said, I can't spend money. It's pointless. So, you know, this job, as I'm talking about what the show is dedicated to, is dedicated to preserving America. This job of preserving America, it, it matters at the very local levels, at local school board races, to the presidency and every race in between. The idea of getting the ideas of America out there, being an advocate for them, speaking up for America it is, it's our job. It's our job as citizens. It's our job as Americans to, you know, we mentioned the internet control thing, keeping control of the internet. So we don't have Saudi Arabia deciding who gets to have um, an internet address that they want to have. So, you know, we're almost out of time here in this show. It happens every week. We want to talk about the UN. Mari had a great idea, just the UN meeting and how, what the, you know, the basic, what's the job of, we should save it for next time you're on the show, Mari, but, um, you know, what's the, what is the job of the president of the United States? Is he supposed to be assuring America's place in the globalist economy and globalist world, or is he to stand up for America? And the answer is to stand up for America. So I'm Debbie Georgiatis. This is America Coming Talk. We have a great new website, americacomingtalk.org. Check us out on Facebook. Follow me on Twitter at Debbie Coming Talk. And remember to tune in every Sunday because we talk truth about America. Thank you for listening to America Can We Talk with Debbie Georgiatis. To learn more or to contact Debbie, go to americacanwetalk.org. America Can We Talk, truth about America. You're listening to RNCN, the digital destination for premium talk radio.